0: Thank you, Brother Zach, for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing and our worship this morning. And thank you to all of you who are here to worship God. It's been a wonderful day of worship at Montevista. I'm so happy to see all of you here. And I want to invite you, if you have not already, take out your Bibles and go to Matthew, the 19th chapter. Brother John read some scriptures to us from Matthew, the 19th chapter. And we're going to read some more scriptures from that chapter that is going to be the basis of our study this morning. As you turn to Matthew 19 this morning and get ready to study from the word of God, I want to ask you, when is the last time, when's the last time you've been to something like this? When's the last time you've been to something like this? When's the last time you've been to a wedding? I actually performed a wedding for one of my brothers in the month of November last year in houston texas and i can still vividly remember all the things that transpired at that event i can remember vividly how it was such a joyous occasion i mean people had on fancy clothes And everybody was smiling and laughing. And there was a wedding cake and flowers and rings and music and happiness and optimism about the future. I mean, weddings are one of the most positive events that you could ever attend in this life. And yet, tragically, for many couples, once the wedding has ended, And the cake has been eaten and the marriage license has been signed and the honeymoon is now over. What began with so much happiness and joy and optimism and peace ends in tragedy. It ends with sorrow. It ends with grief. It ends with a relationship that has been stressed to a breaking point. And with a divorce. You see, divorce is viewed by many people in our society today as an easy way out of marriage. In other words, for a lot of people, they go into a marriage thinking to themselves, well, you know what, I'll just try this out. I'll just see how this goes. If for whatever reason I become unhappy or dissatisfied or maybe I find somebody else I want to be with. I'll just get out of this thing and, and move on. I'll just hire a lawyer and terminate this relationship. I'll just end this marriage by getting a divorce. You see, that is exactly how a lot of people think. When it comes to entering into marriage today, and the question is, what does the Bible say? What, what do the scriptures say? What does what Jesus, the Lord of, of Lord and King of Kings, have to say? Well, let's look at that this morning. Are you in Matthew, the 19th chapter? Let's start with verse number one, if you don't mind, because Jesus does have a lot to say about this. Matthew chapter 19 beginning with verse number one Jesus says these words the Bible says that when Jesus had finished these words he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all. And he answered and said, Have you not read? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Where therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They, the Pharisees, said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces wife, except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, It's better to not marry. As you ponder on those verses for just a moment or two, let me begin by pointing out a few important observations. First, I want you to notice how the issue of marriage and divorce and when is it okay for someone to get a divorce? That's not a new issue. That's not a new controversy. That's not something that only people in our society and culture wrestle with today. No, people in the time of Jesus, they wrestled with and debated this issue. They asked questions about this issue. Some even had serious disagreements about this issue. In fact, that's exactly why the Pharisees come to Jesus asking a question about this issue. You see, the Pharisees know that this is a controversial issue. They know that this is a hot button issue in their minds. However, Jesus responds to their question. He's going to make somebody mad. He's going to alienate himself from some group of people. The Pharisees knew. That the issue of marriage and divorce was wildly debated among the people and their culture and society. So the question is, what does Jesus do? Uh, How does he respond? What does he say in response to their question? Well, before I point out what Jesus says in response to their controversial question, let me first point out what he doesn't say. Let me first point out that Jesus, when answering this question, about marriage and divorce, and when is it okay to get a divorce, he doesn't give the answer that is popular in our society today. He doesn't turn around and say to the Pharisees, well, you know what, God is okay with people getting a divorce anytime they want to. He doesn't say that divorce pleases God. He doesn't say that it glorifies God. He doesn't say that God is okay with people trying marriage out for a while, but once they become unhappy or dissatisfied, or maybe they just find somebody else they want to be with, they can just get out of their marriage, move on, and there be no spiritual consequences. The Lord doesn't say any of those kinds of things. Instead, what the Lord says in response to their question is, he says, have you read your Bible?" Have you read the scriptures? Have you read the very first book in the scriptures? Have you read the book of Genesis? Do you not know what God said all the way back in the beginning? Do you not know that all the way back in the beginning, when God first created this sacred relationship, his intent for it for all time was for it to be a lifelong relationship? It was to be a permanent relationship. It was to be a relationship that one man and one woman entered into for a lifetime. The only exception that God allows for divorce is when you've got an innocent person putting a guilty person away for sexual immorality. In that case, the innocent person is allowed by God to divorce the adulterer or the sexually immoral person. And they can marry someone else, but the immoral person cannot. The immoral person is bound to the innocent person. That's exactly what the Lord is saying in verse nine of that text. And that's also what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter seven, verses one and two. And while the exception for divorce It's what we tend to focus on when we study this particular section of scripture. I want to suggest to you that if you notice very carefully, that's not the main thing Jesus focuses on. That's not the main thing he harps on. That's not the main thing he emphasizes in this text. I want you to notice how out of the 10 verses, out of the 10 verses we just read together, only one of those verses is about divorce. Only one of them is about the exception that God makes for a scriptural divorce. The rest of these verses here are about marriage. They are about permanency in marriage. They are about sticking it out and staying together. They are about avoiding divorce and its far reaching devastating consequences. That's the main thing that Jesus focuses on when he addresses this matter. And that's the main thing we should be focusing on today. That's the main thing we should be focusing on as the people of God instead of spending all our time. Focusing on one verse where Jesus addresses divorce in this section, what we need to spend more time focusing on is all the other verses where he talks about marriage. We need to spend less time talking about divorce and more time talking about marriage. I mean, if we want to avoid divorce, which is clearly not the will of God, then we need to be serious about marriage. We need to understand some important things about marriage. We need to understand that if we're going to avoid divorce, then one of the things we got to do is we got to understand the importance of commitment in marriage. The importance of commitment in marriage. And so for those of you who are. Married this morning, and there are a lot of people in this room who are married. God bless you. I want you to, I want to ask you to do something for me, okay? I want to ask you to think back to your wedding day. And you think back to your wedding day. You remember what was going on on that day? For the ladies here, you remember what your wedding dress looked like? For the men here, you remember what your tuxedo looked like? You remember what the wedding cake looked like? You remember who was in the audience observing you get married? Do you remember the commitment you made on that day? Do you remember the promises you made on that day? Do you remember looking into the eyes of the person that you were about to marry and making vows, vows that included taking this person to be your lawfully wedded spouse? vows that included being together for better or for worse and through sickness and in health and for richer and poor and until death separates you. Do you remember making those vows on the day you got married? You know, when Janice and I got married back on May the 12th of 2003, we didn't have a wedding. We didn't have a wedding. We didn't get to have a cake and flowers and music and a bunch of people sitting in the audience cheering us on with tears in their eyes. No, we ran off and got married. Another way you could say that is we got eloped. We married in secret. We paid a justice of the peace $40 to marry us in about 10 minutes. We didn't have a big, beautiful, fancy wedding, but one thing we did have, we had a moment when we made vows. We had a moment when we made promises. We had a moment when we made important promises, not just to one another, but also to God. And 20 years later, God still remembers those promises and he expects us to be faithful about keeping those promises. And I want to show you this in your Bible, please. I'm going to the book of Ecclesiastes and then I'm going to go to the book of Malachi after that. But in Ecclesiastes chapter five. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and in verse number 5, Solomon has something to say about this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and in verse number 5, Solomon says it's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. You see the principle there? The principle of God takes vow making seriously. God wants us to keep our vows. It's better to not make a vow. It's better to not make a promise than to make one and not strive to keep it. That's what Solomon says. And, and Malachi puts this in the context of marriage in Malachi chapter two. You know, so often we, we quote verse number 16, but let's get the whole context of this. In Malachi chapter two, remember in the time of the prophet Malachi, the people of Israel had gotten way off track. They were doing a lot of things that was not pleasing to God. And one of those things they were doing is they were getting a bunch of divorces. Men were divorcing their wives and that was just not pleasing to the Lord. And here's why that wasn't pleasing to the Lord. In Malachi chapter two, in verse number 14, in Malachi two, and verse 14, God, through the prophet says this. Yet you say for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. Notice that you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, your wife by covenant. Verse 15. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heath into your spirit and let no one deal, here's that word again, treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I, verse 16, hate divorce says the lord the god of israel and he who covers his garment with wrong says lord of hosts so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously you see that word treacherously that's used three times in those three verses that word treacherously that's an important word there my dear friends that is a powerful word it denotes how god is unhappy with the people during this time because through divorce they were failing to honor their commitment. Through divorce, they were breaking their vows. Through divorce, they were breaking the covenant they had made with their spouse and with God in the context. That's the reason why God says he hates divorce. The reason why God says he hates divorce, according to this context, is because it's the breaking of a vow. It's the breaking of a promise. It's the breaking of a commitment. We need to remember that for those of us who are married. We need to remember that every single day. We need to remember that this morning. We need to especially remember that whenever we start having some problems in our marriages. Whenever we start having problems in our marriages whenever we start having some fusses and some disagreements, whenever we start experiencing all kinds of stress in that relationship because maybe we're having some problems with money or with kids or with in-laws before being quick to give up and call a lawyer and start drawing up a bunch of papers, we need to remember our vows. We need to remember our commitment. We need to remember the promises we made to our spouse and the promises we made to God on the day in which we were married. if You want to avoid divorce, it starts with understanding the importance of commitment. But not only do we need to understand the importance of commitment, secondly, we also need to understand divorce's devastating impact. It's devastating impact it has on a relationship that God has ordained. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse number 22, if you remember this, In Ephesians 5, beginning with verse number 22, the Apostle Paul in that section talks about responsibilities. He talks about responsibilities in marriage. He talks about the responsibilities of the husband that he has to his wife and the responsibilities that a wife has to her husband. I submit to you that divorce does not aid a couple in doing all the things that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. It does not aid a couple in honoring and respecting and cherishing and nurturing and being close to their spouse. It does not help promote what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 19. Go back to Matthew 19 again and look at verse number 6, please. I want to highlight verse number 6. There are some key words that Jesus uses in Matthew 19 and verse number 6 that we really need to talk about for a few minutes. First, I want you to notice how in Matthew 19 and verse 6, Jesus uses that word join. Do you see that? He says, what well, God has joined together. That word join that Jesus uses there is a very interesting word. It actually carries the idea of a man and a woman being glued together in marriage. They are glued together, stuck together in marriage That language there means that marriage is not intended by God to be something that we try out or experiment with or participate in for a while. But once we fall out of love with our spouse or maybe we find somebody else we want to be with, we can just get out of that relationship and move on. It's not going to be any spiritual consequences. No, that word joy that Jesus uses there denotes permanency. It denotes enduring and long-lasting. It denotes being glued together for a lifetime. Jesus says that when people get married, when a man a woman marry, they are joined together by God, but not only are they joined together, they also become one flesh. Do you see that? They're joined and they become one flesh. That language, one flesh, is also powerful. It's interesting. It's interesting language. It involves so many different kinds of things. It involves becoming one flesh in the sexual union. There's no doubt about that. And it also involves becoming one in purpose. And in goals and in aspirations, it also involves sharing. Sharing so many different Important things, sharing your time, sharing your money, sharing space, sharing trials and dreams and achievements and laughter. And for many people, it involves sharing children. You know, every single day I'm blessed to see when I look at our children, I'm blessed to see the oneness, part of the oneness that Janice and I have together. I'm blessed to see two people, two human beings who are made up of 50% of my DNA and 50% of her DNA. They were made by both of us together. They have our eyes, our nose, our lips, our hair, our stature, our personalities. They are part of the oneness we share as a husband and a wife. Jesus says when people get married, they become one flesh. And because they had become one flesh by God, Jesus says, let not man separate. You see that? What God has joined together, let not man separate. The Apostle Paul gives a similar thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul says that a wife should not leave her husband and a husband should not divorce his wife. You know what that language is called, brothers and sisters? That language is called. A commandment. A commandment. Now, we understand commandments when it comes to taking the Lord's Supper and when it comes to singing and assembling to worship God on Sunday. Oh, we understand commandments then, but do we understand a commandment here? That's a commandment. God is commanding us to not separate. God is commanding us to not Tear apart what God has put together. You know what all that means? That means that the marriage relationship is a relationship that doesn't just exist between a husband and his wife, but it also is a relationship that exists between a husband, his wife, and God. God is part of this. In fact, when a husband and a wife get married, God is the one who joins them together. God is the one that makes them one. God is the one who glues them together. And when we divorce, Jesus says, we tear apart something God has put together. We tear apart something God has glued together. We make a mess of a relationship ordained by God. We make a mess. Very similar to this right here. Last night. I asked my wife, because I wouldn't do it very well, to glue these two pieces of paper together. Believe it or not, but this is two pieces of paper that have been glued together. They're glued together. It's like one, though, doesn't it? It It's like one piece of paper. It's actually two. And that's what happens when a man and a woman get married. Jesus says they're joined. They're glued together. They become one. But what's going to happen if I try to tear these two pieces of paper apart that have been glued together? they're going to come apart all nice and neat and good. You know, they're not. You know that when I tear these two pieces of paper apart that have been glued together, when I do that. I'm going to make a mess. And that's exactly what we do when we get a divorce. We tear apart something that God has glued together and that leads to us making a mess. We need to remember that. We need to remember that all the time. We especially need to remember that whenever things start getting rocky in our marriages. Whenever we start having fusses and disagreements and arguments and our marital relationship starts feeling a little bit strained before calling a lawyer and drawing up a bunch of papers and determining to get a divorce, we would be wise to pause and understand what we're really trying to do. We're really trying to tear apart something that God has put together. We're really trying to do something that we don't have any authority to do. we're really trying to make a mess of a relationship that God has glued together. If we're going to avoid divorce that should be the goal and we got to understand the importance of commitment we got to understand what it does to our relationship with our mate and Maybe we need to also add, we need to understand what it does to our relationship with God. We need to understand what it does to, to our souls. The reason I bring up souls here is because, I'm listening carefully, when it comes to a divorce, brothers and sisters, it always involves sin. It always involves sin. Yeah, you heard that correctly. Another way when we, that we can say that is when a divorce takes place, somebody has sinned. Somebody has sinned. Either there's an innocent person putting a sinful person away for sexual immorality or one or both people won't out of the relationship and they're tearing apart what God has joined together. A divorce never occurs unless somebody or some people are in sin. There's always sin involved with, with, with a divorce. In fact, it's often the case that when a divorce takes place, And it has nothing to do with Matthew 19 and verse number nine. The people involved in that will attempt to justify their decision by saying, well, you know what? I'll just remain single. I don't want to be with that person anymore. They had not cheated on me, but I don't want to be with them. And so I'll just divorce this person and I'll remain unmarried. I'll be single for the rest of my life. But then a few months go by or a few years go by and loneliness kicks in. And they begin restudying Matthew 19 and verse 9, and they begin questioning the meaning of what it clearly says. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't mean what it clearly says. All of a sudden, they believe that they have a right to marry somebody else, even though the text clearly says that they don't. All of that is an absolute tragedy because it means that people are committing sin. It means that people are, are involving themselves in unlawful marriages. It means that people are willing to lose their eternal souls because they're seeking earthly happiness over spiritual treasures. And Jesus has something to say about that in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, and verse number 24, in Matthew the 16th chapter, in verse 24, Jesus says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake will find it. Verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Those questions that are asked by Jesus in verse 26 are rhetorical questions. They are questions where the answer is obvious, but they're asked to to help us think, to help us think critically, to help us realize that there's nothing more important than our our souls. I don't care what it is, there's nothing more important than our eternal souls. No amount of earthly pleasure and, and happiness is more important than our souls. That's something we need to always remember, especially when we start having problems in our marriages. Whenever things start getting rocky in our marriages, whenever we start having some disagreements and some fusses and some problems and we're, twi- and we're tempted to twist and compromise the scriptures and break our vows, we need to pause and really understand what we're going to be doing. We're going to be sinning. We're going to be dishonoring God. We're going to be violating a clear commandment of Jesus. We're going to be engaging and unlawful behavior that has spiritual consequences we're going to damage our souls when we tear apart what God has joined together and maybe we need to close this lesson by just saying this if we want to avoid divorce we need to understand what engaging in that really demonstrates go back to Matthew 19 one more time because these are the scriptures that are often overlooked And I want to give them some attention, please. In Matthew chapter 19, in verse 7, after Jesus talks about the will of God for marriage from the beginning. The Bible says in verse number 7 of Matthew 19, They, the Pharisees, said to him, Why then did Moses command in the law to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Jesus responds by saying, Because of your hardness of heart. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, going back to Genesis, it has not been this way. Notice how the Pharisees respond to what Jesus teaches from Genesis. Notice how the Pharisees don't respond to that teaching, that Bible teaching by saying, well, you know what, Jesus, you're right about that. That is what Genesis teaches. Genesis does talk about permanency in marriage. We should have thought about that before we came to you trying to trap you with this question. They don't say that. They don't embrace this this Bible teaching that Jesus gives. Instead, they do like a lot of people in our time do today. They want to argue about the matter. They want to keep debating the matter. They want to know, okay, why does Moses then allow us? To get divorces. That's what they want to know. They're not satisfied. They're not satisfied with God's will from the beginning. And the reason why is given in verse eight. It's in verse eight. Notice how while Moses did allow something for a time, there's no doubt about that. While Moses did allow something for a time, Jesus is teaching here that what he allowed was not God's will from the beginning. It was not God's original intent. It was not God's original purpose for marriage. God's original intent and purpose for marriage from the beginning was permanency. It was a lifelong relationship. And the only reason why God or Moses allowed what is being referenced to in verse number seven was because of their determination to reject God's plan. It was because of their stubbornness. And their evil desires, it was because they had hard hearts. They had hard hearts. Towards the will of God for marriage. And unfortunately, a lot of people have hard hearts today, don't they? They have hard hearts just like these people had hard hearts. And the question is, what about us? What about me? What about you? Whenever we start having problems in our marriages, will we have hard hearts? Will we be stubborn? Will we rebel against the will of God? Will we break our vows and tear apart what God has glued together? Or will we be humble towards the will of God? Or will we seek to be committed to the promises? We made on our wedding day or will we demonstrate true belief and trust in God and be determined to have a marriage? That God intended us to have from the beginning. Those are questions we need that we all need to to ask ourselves from time to time. And so before we go into our invitation, I want to say just a few more things, if you will allow me. First, I want to tell you why I preach this lesson. Can I do that? You may wonder, well, son, you just came back from my town. Why you come back with a lesson about divorce and, and marriage? Why are you preaching that? I'll tell you why I'm preaching this lesson. I'm preaching it for a couple of different reasons. First, I'm preaching this lesson because it was requested. It was requested by a member of this congregation. And I like to honor requests from time to time from members of the congregation. But secondly, I'm also preaching this lesson because... It's needed. It's needed. While it is not a lesson I get excited to preach, believe me, I didn't get up this morning excited to preach about divorce. As a preacher, my job is not to just preach about the things I want to preach about. I got to tell you the whole counsel of God. I got to give you everything God has to say that even includes preaching on a topic like this from time to time. And so I want to say that to you, but secondly, I want to say something to the people who have been through this. For those of you who are at Mona Vista here, or if you're visiting with us this morning, but if you're a member of Mona Vista especially, please know something. that If you've gone through divorce, and some of you have, I want you to know that I by no means intended to hurt you with this lesson. I by no means intended to bring you pain and grief and put salt on an open wound. I hope you know me well enough by now after four and a half years to realize that I love you. I care about you. And the reason why I preach this lesson is because I want to help other people here avoid experiencing the pain that you have experienced maybe beyond your control. And so I didn't want to bring you any pain. Please believe me. I love you, but I have to preach this kind of stuff from time to time. It's in the Bible. And to the unmarried people here. I hope you'll take away from this lesson. That marriage is serious business. If you want to get married one day, understand that's a huge commitment, a commitment that God intends to last for a lifetime. And that's why I'm going to close with verse number 10 of Matthew 19. Because after Jesus gives this powerful teaching about marriage and divorce, in verse number 10 of Matthew 19, it says, The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better to not marry. The disciples get it, don't they? They don't say to Jesus, well, after all that teaching you gave Jesus, I think you're saying it's OK to get divorce anytime we want to. I think you're saying that we can divorce our wives if we don't like their cooking anymore or if we find somebody else. They don't say that, do they? Instead, they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to be careful with this. We need to be careful getting into marriage because that's a serious commitment. The disciples get it. And we need to get it. We need to understand that getting into a marriage is a very important commitment but it's not the most important commitment. It's not the most important relationship. You see, you don't have to get married in order to go to heaven. There are a lot of servants of God in the Bible who were never married. The Apostle Paul went married, John the Baptist and many others. But you do have to be a servant of God. You do got to be married to Jesus spiritually. You got to be part of the bride of Christ. And if that's something you need this morning, if you want to be part of the bride of Christ and you're not, you can do that in the next two minutes. If you're willing to confess your faith in Christ and repent of your sins and be baptized into Jesus for the remission of your sins, the Lord will add you to his church, wash away your sins, make you part of his bride, which is the church. You can leave here right with the Lord or if you're here this morning and you are part of the bride of Christ, but you haven't been living faithful to Jesus. If you want to repent and have us pray with you and pray for you, We'll be more than happy to do that. If there's anyone here this morning who needs to make right the most important relationship you can have in life, and that's a relationship with Jesus, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's